What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the White Belt Podcast. Each and every episode of my goal is to bring you learnings, lessons, and unique practical tools at the intersection of movements and mindsets. My name is Fernandez, and my guest for you today is national freediving champion Thibaut Guignes. Thibaut is the current French national champion and record holder for freediving. He's a 125-meter freediver with 10 national records to his name. He's the current head of education at Molkanos Freediving, one of the most prestigious education institutes of freediving around the world. And he's also the owner of a beautiful freediving school in Camotes, Philippines, called Camotes Freediving, where I got my certification and met Thibaut just a couple of weeks ago. My favorite part about this podcast is not only how Thibaut prepares his body for the incredibly deep dives that he does, but his perspective on his training regimen for the mind, how he sees the mindset as something that can be trained and developed in the same principles as you would develop your body in a gym. It's an incredibly refreshing perspective backed by a wealth of experience and a high, high level of competitive performance. I'm really excited for you guys to get into this one. So without any further ado, please welcome Thibaut Kinyas. Thibaut, I'm really interested in inflection points, points in people's lives where something happens and you have some kind of experience and it really is formative for the rest of your life. And I was doing a bit of research for this and I read about one inflection point in your life. It was a research trip to French Polynesia. Yeah. I'd love for you to take us back there and, and yeah, tell me like what was happening then and why was that so pivotal in your life? Um, well, at the time I was, um, uh, I think you would call it a graduate student in, uh, engineering school, um, studying oceanography and so far besides picking a bit this specialty oceanography i had always just followed what was what i was supposed to do you know i was quite good at school so i just did the best schools and then kept going and and then when i did this research trip i arrived in french polynesia which is like so wild and not so developed and beautiful you you arrive already uh, on the airport you feel the flowers you know you just go down from the airplane and and yeah and where exactly were you uh in tahiti okay. uh, i was yeah there is a university there with an oceanography research lab and then i went there for like four months and a half wow and yeah this plus the people I met there and made me see that I could have another life <laughs> and not this time a life that I was doing just because it was the thing to do but because I really wanted to do this and uh, and I'm not blaming it on the system or anything it's just so far uh, nothing really attracted me to the point I was like I really want to do this so I, I was like okay I'm gonna be an engineer oceanography sounds better than electronics or mechanics you know was really like this and yeah uh, and then at the time I had done scuba diving a couple of times in my life but it felt so natural to me and so relaxing and enjoyable that even though I was very um non-experienced I, yeah. I was like okay you'll be a scuba instructor and maybe you'll, you'll have your scuba shop one day um, but I was also really interested in what I was studying uh, I didn't see myself doing it as a job but studying learning new things especially oceanography you learn how it was physical oceanography so how the tides work the current waves all those things tsunami like super interesting so I, I finished studying and then, yeah, instead of keep going like for a PhD in the US like I was supposed to, I took a job to save a bit of money and I worked like four years in Paris. And same, I had great life in Paris. I, I had a very good job, so it was really enjoyable. So, and knowing that it was just for a certain period of time made it that even though I'm a bit allergic to big cities and stuff, right. I, I still enjoyed a lot, did a lot of sports and uh, there is great climbing areas around Paris. So I, really? I started bouldering a lot, things like this, but still in mind that all of this was to serve something else. So during my vacation, I started the getting my first levels of scuba diving and I kept going all the way to the point where after if I wanted to really become instructor or professional in France I needed a 
one year degree, so I really needed to quit my job fully and, yeah, wow. and dedicate myself to this full time for one year. And yeah, that's what I did after four years of working. One day, I, I was supposed to work even one more year, and then my job, I could take a lot of vacations. So one day I took five weeks in a row, and when I came back uh, <laughs> Monday morning, I told my boss, yeah, okay, uh, I need it. to talk to you later. And they were very supportive and like very happy for me. So it was overall like really cool process. And six months later, I was gone. Um, and yeah, that was really the first uh, big change in my life, let's say, uh, like at least uh, of orientation, like a uh, yeah. trajectory in life. And I never recreated it a uh, single time so far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I I'd say there was another point as well is probably when I discovered freediving. Yes. But still the main point, I think the main turning point is still this one when I really decided, okay, which kind of life I wanted. Then there are mm. different ways to get there, but at least it's like, okay, I want something outside. I want something where I'm not always working on a laptop or I'm like, yeah. I don't want to use my brain too much. Uh, not that I'm never using my brain freediving, and that's not what I mean, but I yeah. don't want to be constantly stimulated. Uh, I prefer to have it like while reading, playing pianos or doing yeah, other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm really curious to know, so like when you went to this research trip in French Polynesia, like what was, the, was there a moment, what was the, what was the kind of really ticking point where you feel like, oh my God, was there, was there a particular place, a particular experience where you were like, this is really showing me what, what this kind of lifestyle is that I want? Yeah, I think it was a, a combination of many things, but I remember one very specific moment. I was in a party, so I'm not going to go too much into <laughs> details on we'll <laughs> substances yeah. and stuff like this. But, uh, and yeah, so far I was having a really great time and I was very well surrounded. I made great friends there that I'm still in touch with. And so, I had really like four months uh, living uh, in the dorms with a few Polynesians that stayed during summer in the university. We, we were like sharing meals every day, um, wow. playing volleyball at sunset every single day, that kind of things. And, and that specific night, I don't know, suddenly I had this thought, I was so happy, but in a really, I don't know, it was overwhelming me. And then I, I remember thinking, that's what it must mean to be happy, you know, wow. like really. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, so I need to not fully reproduce this, but uh, make sure yeah. most of my life looks like this in a way. <laughs> Not uh, in a no, no drug abuse party, <laughs> <yeah>, but, <laughs> but the, the overall <laughs> insight—that's <laughs> great. No, it's, it's, I've had a really similar experience in my own life when I went uh, backpacking and I ended up moving to Sri Lanka for a little while, and it was Ooh. it was the same thing. It was so different to everything I experienced growing up in a big city in Melbourne. Island life, party, every like just something so different to what I ever imagined was possible. That I was like, damn, I need to find some kind of way to to incorporate some of this into my life because I, it was just like i didn't even know this was possible until i until <laughs> i experienced this it's it's really interesting yeah and it goes from of course you have the life in general with a big l but it goes even from little details and like you're there or when i'm here you know i don't even question okay what i'm gonna wear today whatever yeah. i uh that doesn't mean I'm dirty and I don't and I have only uh, trashy clothes or anything. It's yeah. just like it's like okay, you pick a pair of shorts, like a t-shirt, and you're ready for the day with your flip-flops, you know. Yeah. And and whatever you look like, people are not gonna care at all. And so it, it removes so much social pressure on mm. this, but on so many things. Like it's living a little bit more free from the conventions of society a bit yeah. you know like uh, i felt very like a, a bit of a prisoner of my own life you know uh, like feeling you have to follow so many rules that you never got to choose because you yeah. live in a society that chose them for you and exactly. i feel very lucky to have grown up in france uh, and everything um, but it's just a on a day-to-day -day life i'm happier uh, 
you know, a very outdoor life. And <laughs> yeah, man. And we're, we're recording this from your beautiful house in Camotes in the Philippines. And yeah, I've really, I've been here the last few days taking a free diving course at your school. And I've really gotten to, you know, kind of experienced a little bit, a little slice of this life, man. It's, it's, it's uh, such a beautiful place. Nice. It's a beautiful school that you've put together, man. Thank you. Yeah. And congrats on your certification. <laughs> Did you yeah. pass the course? Thank you. Must have been pretty good instructing, man. <laughs> We're going to jump around a little bit, but I'd love for you to describe to me what your relationship was with fear before you started freediving. Because over the last few days, this was one of the big things I noticed constantly doing the three diving courses my relationship with fear i was constantly presented with it and i'd love to hear from you what was that like for you before you found it um i'm not so sure my relationship with fear evolved that much with free diving interesting uh I, at least fear for my own safety you know mm. um i used to rock climb yeah i, I used to boulder Okay. Because uh, I'm a bit afraid of height. Not to a point I'm paralyzed, right. but I really don't enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy reaching the summit, but I'm like, oh, if I could have hiked all the way there, it would have been even better, you know? <laughs> so, but underwater never felt scary for, scary for me. Interesting. Uh, I grew up spending two months of holidays in my grandparents' place every year when I was a kid and we were on the beach every single day. I was always very comfortable in the water, learned swimming when I was very young. Um, and yeah, it's for me, freediving is not scary. It's, I'm not saying it never was at any point ever, but that's the thing with the right approach. You don't feel like you endanger yourself. That doesn't mean you're completely unconscious. You know that there are risks, but yeah. I, I don't feel them. I, I don't feel fear. What I learned to deal with a lot, still working on it, but yeah. it's more like this fear of failure, you know, of not succeeding in your goal or maybe this now I deal way better with the fear of what other people are going to think about me. Um, this, I had a lot of trouble dealing with when I started competing. Mm. In training, I never had these issues, but in, in, in competition was a big deal for me at the beginning because I, I had never done sports in competition before. Or Yeah, I, I like to win like everyone, but I'm not like, oh, I absolutely want to or anything, you know? So it's, yeah, it's more this kind of fear I had to deal with, but uh, I never felt oppressed by being underwater. I feel very comfortable there. That's really interesting. It's so, it's so interesting how many different experiences you can have from, from the same, in the same kind of thing. What was it that really drew you to free diving when you first experienced it? Um, when I was studying scuba diving, I had seen a few free divers, but... Um, yeah, they were very secretive about it. And, you know, it was something not for everyone and so on. But still, it was a bit intriguing. And uh, I was very comfortable in the water when I would go snorkeling. I would go down already five, ten meters by myself and it would feel very natural. But still, it wasn't freediving. I knew nothing about it. And it's just one day randomly, I had a few days to kill and there was a freediving school next door and I tried freediving thinking, oh, remembering those things and oh, maybe I could discover it quickly. Uh, and, and this was my second turning part. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, where really it felt like, I was loving scuba diving, but like like I love a lot of things, you know, and and suddenly with freediving, uh, um, it became like passion, you know, like yeah. I, I, and pure enjoyment at all time. I could see myself working as a scuba instructor. It would be a, a job not as bad as most of the job I could think of. Now having the opportunity to teach something that I really love for myself, not yeah. to teach for others and also that I'm very good at. Um, I think it's very lucky to find something when you're already 30 years old, because yeah, I was 31 years old. Wow. You find something that you really love. It was a period of my time I had the opportunity as well to spend a lot of time practicing. Plus, I was gifted for it. 
so yeah, I would never have imagined, for example, that I would get to the highest level in in anything in the rest of my life. And I, I was perfectly fine with this, but I feel very lucky to have found something so motivating and being good at it and really loving it now. Yeah, it's really big turning point as well. <laughs> Do you think that was something you were actively searching for in your life? Because sometimes, you know, I, I interview people or I meet people and they were like, I've rehearsed this moment from the day, you know, I've like over and over again. And some people like, I fully, fully fell into this. Does it feel like you were kind of a part of who was really looking for that intersection between something you were very, very skilled in and something that you were no, really interested I, in? No, I, I had never even considered something like wow. this. And, and I really like, and, and really my, my goal was, and it's still a bit now, I embraced a bit the competitive side. I really like it. And, uh, but, I know that, for example, I won't get uh, depressed or sad or whatever if I stop competing one day because it was already very lucky for me to get this period. Wow. And my goal in life is actually to, <laughs> to do as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in terms of work and like, uh, yeah, it's... I went here also in Philippines and set up and I had this project for scuba now it turns out it's free diving and it's better for me. But the, the main goal is still a bit this same choice of life of uh, spending a lot of time outside, not spending half of your time working. Uh, like right now I just opened, so I spend more than half of my time working, but the idea is little by little to actually have a lot of time to do other things, you know? Um, any kind of things, probably things that I didn't even think of yet. Yeah, that absolutely. I will discover more, but I, I already have a lot in mind that I used to love before freediving. And yeah. I hope to discover new ones. <laughs> Beautiful. That's really interesting. We're sitting right now in your home and I see a lot of kind of signs around, <laughs> you know, like you can, you will, a lot of like positive reinforcement. And I'd love to start to, one of the reasons I really wanted to interview was because of the whole mindset aspect of freediving. And it's so intimately intertwined with the whole with the whole sport. But also it's something that people take a lot of consideration trying to train actively as well. Yeah. And I'm interested in asking you about how you go about training something as kind of nebulous and as as tricky as mindset. Because sometimes you can tell, you know, if I if I need to be relaxed when I'm doing something, for example. Yeah. You can say, hey Fernandez, you need to relax. And then that's when I'm gonna help, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I go say it, but yeah, gonna help. exactly. You know, when I go and it's it's like your whole my whole physiology is gonna be fighting me, and it's gonna be all of this kind of stuff. So just you know, understanding it intellectually, or just saying it, sometimes is very yeah. different to the translation. So how do you go about training mindset in a way that's actually effective free diving? Um, but that's the thing. You really need to see the mind as a muscle, you know, and then you go to gym and you practice. Now, what is not always easy, you find a lot of books that are very inspiring where people tell you all those concepts. Mm -hmm. Self-talk is great. Yes. And it needs to be positive. Okay. And then they give you a lot of examples and it's super inspiring. Yeah. But okay, how do I apply it to myself on a daily basis? How do I build a routine that I can practice? I don't know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes every day if I need to. Um, and it's something when I do workshops about mental preparation to my students, I, I usually start by asking them, okay, for you freediving, what is the percentage of mind involved and body involved? And actually it works anyway, whichever the percentage you answer, you could tell me 10% the mind and 90% the body, I would still give you the same answer. How much time do you dedicate to train your mind compared with your body? Is it 10% of your time? And usually people don't train their mind at all or very little. And it's just to make them realize, okay, and some people will tell you, oh, it's 80% in the mind. And, but what do you do to train your mind? Oh, I do five minutes of meditations here and there. And, and I'm not saying it's ridiculous or anything. I'm just saying like it's to make you realize, okay, if, if you need to train the mind, then you need to invest the time in it. And then the second stage is, okay, finding a practical way to do it. Um, and the first few years I was, I was actually being confronted exactly to this. 
Mm. I was so inspired by so many books and movies about mental preparation and psychology, and I couldn't find much about practical routine. Yes. And that's what motivated me to really start looking into it, but a lot, <laughs> like yeah. reading everything I could find about it, scientific articles as well, and, and then started to yeah, actually find some practical ways to do it. Because meditation, for example, is going to be very nice. And, I, and But you have meditation just to meditate, which I think should be part of a mental routine as well. But then you have some meditation that are really directed at training something in particular. Like um, you actually use the meditation and the mindful breathing to put yourself in a, in a state where it's easy to suggest things, a bit like hypnosis or auto yes and and then once you're in this state you can listen to things pre-recorded by you by someone or just say them out loud or in your mind to reinforce them mm. and for example i even have sometimes a list of 10 affirmations that resonate with me you need also you can find some already done and but you you need to find many many and find the one that talks to you yeah. An example, for example, one of my affirmation, because sometimes I get a bit overwhelmed by what's going on around the competition setup. Like one that really talks to me deep inside is like, I rise above the noise and I see myself, you know, almost floating a bit mm. above the competition setting. And here is a perfect example of mixing self-talk and visualization. Visualization is not only about your performance can be visualizing yourself succeeding, yourself managing to relax before your performance. That can be many things like this. And, and then once you discover this as well, then it, it becomes a bit easier to start building practical routine. And, but yeah, it takes a bit of time, a bit of study, and, but there are definitely ways. And like lately to prepare the competition I have in a few days, I'm really practicing like on average 35, 40 minutes a day doing this, this self-talk, but in a structured way, but putting myself first in a very good state of mind, some about confidence, some about focus, some about motivation, and then mm. some specific list of affirmation, and also visualizing also my performances, visualizing my success, and then those signs you were talking about are constant reminder. Yeah. And the idea is not just to read the sign, for example, is to visualize what it means as well, to combine self-talk, visualization. And, and this is really helpful as well to, to keep yourself in a good, positive state of mind. So there are many ways to do it. I could talk for hours yeah, about it. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. I'm a bit... Uh, no, 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 this is, this uh, is really... ...everywhere, but uh, you can definitely have a practical routine and you should if you really want to train your mind. I 100% I agree. And I, re I really like the, the term mental preparation more than mindset i don't think I, I don't know if i've really heard it used in that way before but just yeah, the mindset it, it seems so vague vague yeah. exactly and the idea of having mental preparation some kind of routine some kind of thing that you've built for yourself that you can rely on and just to recap a little bit what you said as well you would you mentioned some kind of meditation in order to get you into a state of almost like self-hypnosis auto-suggestion where you were more ready to more able to receive the kind of whatever affirmation and that kind of thing, whatever thing you want to reinforce. So starting with some kind of relaxation exactly. to put you in a state and then going into, it was almost like it's an exercise program of different things of motivation, of focus, of competition stress and selected things for each one for yourself, something that's really resonates with you. And then going through those and almost making it like a, like a ritual so that you can put yourself in that state and you practice putting yourself in that state. And then hopefully when the time comes, you'll be so used to dropping yourself into it, you can follow the same thing. Exactly. Is that kind of a fair summary? Yeah, exactly. And you have also some full training programs, like very specific based a bit on the same principle, like autogenics uh, program, like same. It's like really self-hypnosis, like that mm -hmm. you need to do three times a day for if you really want it to be efficient for like four months. Wow. And you were, ah, yeah, the first three days you focus only on your left arm, for example, and that kind of things. But uh, you, you imprint it so deep that the idea is just with a few words, you get back to this fully relaxed uh, state. Yeah. And, 
And yeah, and for the relaxation in itself, yeah, there are tools. Yes. Like, and the first thing is just to, to think a bit of what it means to be relaxed. Like, do you want first your body to be relaxed? And mm -hmm. in this case, maybe a body scan where you're going to go piece by piece. And what it means to be relaxed, like if my face is relaxed, that means, for example, I have no wrinkles here. And mm. I, so it's translating a bit what relaxation means in terms that you can almost measure, you know, in yes. a way. So I'm not saying everything needs to be numbered and measured, but so that, and it's a bit the same for, as you were saying, the training and the mental preparation more than a mindset, because really, if you do a work and a routine every day, you know, there is also this effect of feeling you're doing the job instead of just trying to think in a certain way. Yeah. I'm doing a job, so it's going to product, it is going to give results. Yes. And being convinced of this by the fact that you're making the job has a big impact as well on this time, your mindset and on the results you get out of it. So is uh, like really having a routine and specific exercise, I think help in different ways, the exercise in itself, mm. but the fact that knowing you are actually doing an exercise and having a routine, which is structured because in our, especially in our Western societies, we, we used to being restructured and exercise cut in different pieces for everything. And, but it's so much into us, so yes. why not use it to our advantage? It's like, okay, I need something structured. Let's make it even for my mind. Mm -hmm. And this way it convinces you as well in a way that this is working and it helps it working. So it's the, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's something I don't hear very often in terms of the, like the, the training program for the mind as well. Maybe I, I think people pay lip service to it, but to actually hear it done in a really, really structured way for competition, for high-level competitive settings is really, really fascinating. I'd love to ask, has there been anything or what's been one of the methods you mentioned in of reading books and just mm. kind of feeding the mind a little bit, but without the real practice, have there been any actual maybe routines or some tools that you thought were going to really work or that was meant to be so amazing that you found didn't really stack up? And then on the other side, did you find anything that was maybe you didn't think was going to be too effective, but you're like, wow, this is super effective? Um, Things that I thought were going to be super effective and weren't, I didn't have that kind of experience much. Okay. Uh, but I had the other experience for sure. Uh, I'm a bit old school, you know, and me apps and things like this, I'm always a bit... <laughs> <laughs> a bit skeptical. Da yeah, skeptical yeah. or doubtful about the... Yeah. And then uh, still one day I was like, okay, I want to check and I heard about this app called the champion's mind and I thought it was going to be yeah uh, <laughs> and still I went to it and the thing is not only you have those kind of really practical routine that I was talking about but in addition you have some modules where you learn about mental preparation and about mindset and those things and I went through those modules first and it was so much exactly all the things I read in all the books and the idea I was also starting to have for myself of mental preparation that I was like, okay, let's try the program. And I think this year I used this app and to keep me committed to do those 30, 35, 40 minutes a day. Interesting. It, it, it really changed everything. And yeah, I used to have uh, stress issues in competition a lot. I'm not saying I'm not stressed now. Um, First, now I know that it's normal to be stressed and that's why I'm going to a competition. So I shouldn't complain about it. I should embrace it. You know, but that's what makes a competition interesting, isn't mm -hmm. it? But in addition, yeah, this year I could compete only in competitions. I was organizing myself, which was like a lot of stress, additional work and things. And still I performed very well and the stress was not an issue at all. And I strongly believe it was this first two, three months of using the app absolutely every day that mm. kept my, cause you have indicators and, right. and stuff. So it keeps you motivated as well. And that helped a lot. So this app, the champion's mind, honestly, uh, I recommend it to all my students. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. I, I'm actually planning because I know that they have some very specific module for running and stuff. 
I'm really planning to contact them and tell them, yeah. hey, what about we do one for freediving? I'm happy to help because the app changed my wow. my mental preparation like very much. And you know, this gym thing is very important because people think mental preparation can be a bit magical. And it can be yeah. if you do the job. And we always say, for example, oh yeah, when you visualize your mind doesn't make the difference between the visualization and the actual performance. Mm -hmm. This is true for a top athlete. It is not true for someone who've never done visualization. Right. When, they, when you look at the cerebral activity of someone who is not used to it, some of the same areas are activated, but far from everything and far from exactly the same way. Now it can be quite quick if, if you do the job. Like 40 minutes every day for three months, you get to the point where the cerebral activity is almost exactly the same during the actual activity and during the visualization. Is that 40 minutes every day in conjunction with regular physical training as well? I would say yes, yeah. Yes, okay. But because uh, I can imagine that would be different if you were just doing the visualization versus the visualization plus the activity. It depends well. which level you have in the activity. If you're already very well trained in the activity, then your visualizations can be, become very efficient also by themselves. Right. It's, it's really hard to visualize properly something you're not so good at. Yes. So yes. that also plays a role. But overall, yeah, don't think that, oh, I'm starting to do visualization and right away it's going to change everything. It's going to help from the beginning. But if you really want like the strong effects, mm. you need to invest the time just like you wouldn't expect from one gym session to suddenly having your biceps double, you know, <laughs> it's like. Oh, if only that was the way it worked, right? Yeah, but yeah that, that, that's really, I really, really love this whole concept of just investing in your mind like you do in your body, you know, whatever percentage it is, like how much time you actually spend doing the structured training, whether it's an app, whether it's, it's something that you build for yourself, just having that structured training regime and treating it like a skill that you improve at that's going to continue to give you more and more rewards the more you invest in the skill, mm. just like the training that you're actually doing as well. I think this is a really, it's, it's quite simple, but it's also, I think a lot of people do have this kind of fanciful thing about it, like get the mindset and then you just believe and then it's amazing. It's like, it can be a skill just the same and that can be the same mundane thing, but it's also very, very effective at the same time. Exactly, and what I like about freediving is that you start addressing things addressing these things from the beginning yes. because it's a sport where you stop breathing. It's a vital function, <laughs> you yeah. know, so yeah. uh, you have the mental aspects from the beginning. In most sports, you start addressing it when you start getting a bit higher level to make the difference yeah. with your competitor. Freediving, you address it from the beginning, so it makes it accessible to everyone, those mm -hmm. mental preparation. I know that in our beginner course, we start teaching visualization. In the yeah. intermediate course, we have a we have mindfulness in more advanced course. We have some deconcentration of the attention with visual technique and even more advanced later. So you really, as you learn the physical skills, you also learn the mental ones all the way. And this, I really enjoyed for freediving. That's such a great point. I don't know of any other, I mean, maybe they exist, but I don't know of any other sport that does that day one in my course recently. Day one, we're doing body scans and relaxation techniques and yeah, training the mind at the same time as a body. That's that's such a great point. Mm. I'd love to switch gears a little bit because there's on the one hand, there's the rehearsal and, and the, the order suggestion or something like that. But the what I was gonna come back to was the the whole the idea of some kind of like a long held limiting belief. Do you feel that the kind of affirmations and that kind of training can help you transcend those things? Or have you had to go elsewhere, or maybe have you had to help some students go elsewhere? If they have a really, really deeply held, I don't know, limiting belief about themselves, is there some kind of deeper inquiry that you also go to, to use to kind of go deeper into those things and maybe meet them at the but, source or heal those things? Or do you feel like the kind of mental preparation, that training can just forge that mindset in the fire no matter what? Well, in the a bit higher level athletes I coached, uh, yeah, the... the I never had anyone like really traumatized in a way, you know, so I didn't have to do some deep healings. And, and a lot of time it's just changing a little bit the perspective, how mm -hmm. people see things and it's usually enough at that level. And then for pure beginners, I would say 
we are not there yet, but a lot of time, yeah, we have people arriving on me. I can first I smoke and then I cannot hold my breath for, for more than 30 seconds. I tried it in the other day when I was doing this or this. And, and these are beliefs that we manage to break very easily just by making them try in a different way. Yeah. So, but yeah, I know that for, for quite a few people, uh, freediving is a real th therapy and, mm. and it helps them with, with other things. But once again, I think something else could help them in the same way. Mm. It's good that they love it and they do freediving because they love it and that helps them on the way. But if they had fell in love with soccer instead, could be the same. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I think that's, it's so, it's so, it's so funny. Some things are on the one hand, when you look at them so profound and so powerful. And on the other hand, it's also very normal as well. It's like yeah. the, the, the process of really applying yourself to something and showing yourself that you're more capable of can happen in many, many arenas. And I think it's more. But sometimes it's just go travel a bit, talk to other people. And then you realize that freediving is a very tiny niche and that is not the center of the world and that your internal journey is not so exceptional that everyone should know about, you know, no, but like, it, it's like, yeah, it's a sport, a special sport and I love it and it's my favorite one. So I know how special it is, but it's still not a, yeah, I don't think yeah. it has more that many more healing process, but anything it's it's more the way you practice it and how it changes, like, what I like is usually, because it's a lot about still adaptation and physiology, your body quickly tells you what's not good for your freediving. You know, like mm. if you eat too much or spicy, not at the right moment, too greasy, that kind of thing. So what I like is that it can become a lifestyle pretty easily, more than some other sports in a way. Uh, and maybe in that sense, is a little bit more of a journey because yeah, usually you you see people like they start freediving if they really get into it naturally without feeling that they make any effort. They start losing a bit of weight because because if you eat too heavy before, then you feel bad in the water, and right after, if you eat too greasy, same you it takes too um, too much time to digest. That kind of things, little by little. If you drink too much the day before, the next day you're gonna feel terrible in the water. Yeah, so. Although things can make it become a lifestyle and a fairly healthy one. And if you add all those meditation and mental preparation, yeah, it's a very, very good thing overall. Uh, this might be differentiating it from other sports in a way, but same, I don't know. If you want to run properly, you need to have a good sleep, have a good nutrition. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to linger on the mindset thing just for just for a little bit more because yeah. I remember we were walking down to the to the boat yesterday and you were telling me a little bit about your one of the goals that you have for the day and we're kind of brought to mind this balance between really really trying to fixate on the outcome if you perform at a high level you have these goals you I want to dive this particular depth versus also having to surrender to the process a little bit and divorce yourself from the outcome some people really really are like I'm going to make it happen no matter what. I'm just focused on making this thing happen and really, really striving towards it. And then some people are more like, I have to trust the process as well. If you want to dive a particular depth, if someone listening either has like a goal in mind, whether it's free diving something else, and they really, really want to make it happen. How do you balance this tension of really striving towards something and someone just realizing that you have to trust the process? Um, it's a bit or so of just... Uh practical, pragmatic and calculation, pra practical approach, almost pragmatic approach is like a lot of experience, even studies show that trusting the process is the best way to perform. So, you know, it's a bit like um, what we were talking about, like, oh, you need to relax, uh, you need to perform, like, oh, you need to saying, I want to go to these depths today and saying it over and over again and trying it if you're not ready is not going to do anything to make you progress. If not, it's going to do the opposite, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and trusting the process and this is going to make you progress faster. So it can have some frustrating sides sometimes, but same, if you see the bigger picture, that's the way to take in a way. Now, sometimes you need, yeah, 
It's a line you work on is like, am I being a bit lazy or am I being mm. lacking confidence a bit too much when actually I should go for it? Or am I just really trusting the process and today is not the day? That's where... Hard to know. And sometimes you make the mistake one way or another and you learn from it. And that in this way, you learn to know yourself better. But once again, like for any other sport. I think that's a very good and a very clear answer as well. I think most of the times when I hear that, it's almost a little bit Hollywood, uh, the whole story of like, and then, you know, against all odds, I did everything. And I just, it's some heroic last minute effort and some amazing record and this, they're beautiful stories. But I think also sometimes for me, I think earlier in my life, it really warped my perception of how things are achieved, how difficult things are really achieved. And the more and more people I speak to, the more and more experience I get myself, the more I'm like, that is the person that just kept on showing up and just doing it and just doing it and just doing it for a really, really, really long time. Exactly. And I admire those people so much more actually than the one that against all hope yeah, from one to yeah. time, from time to time, they managed to do something great. Right? It makes nice stories and stuff, but the people that have those objectives and that manage to really know themselves and perform at the highest level over and over and over again, this I find it mm. very interesting and I wish I could be like this all the time and I'm not at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is is also I think for this you need to be able to dedicate yourself a little bit more than what I have the opportunity to do at the moment. Uh, um, I know that for me my life, but in a way it removed the pressure a lot. Uh, this I feel like this season I feel already lucky I could compete compared with last season, but it's a bit like. I do whatever I can. It's not like I set a real strong objective and I go for it and I do this. It's just like, okay, today I can train, <laughs> tomorrow I cannot. So I go today and I do the best I can do today. And so I almost function without proper goals. Uh, most of the time my goal was, okay, I did this last time. Now I'm going to do this next time and then we'll see from there. And, and then, but. Yeah, I also had some periods where I could really train and focus only on this. And yeah, it makes it a little bit easier to to follow your goals and yeah. to really uh, follow a plan and everything. But the thing is, again, I don't care if one day I'm world champion or like I just want to do the best I can do. So this this approach is not so bad either. Like with the life I have, it's like, when I have the opportunity, I perform the best I can do at that moment. And sometimes it's the best I can do at that moment is a really great best. And sometimes yeah. it's not, and it's life. <laughs> and I, it is life. And I think that's also hopefully encouraging for anyone listening as well, because sometimes I know for myself, well, I have this image of some kind of elite athlete is this person who their whole life revolves around this entire thing and everything is set up and all the sponsorships and everything mean that their whole day is just purely dedicated to the highest level of result. And there are people that do that and there are people that can live like that. But for someone like yourself, who's able to perform at the level that you do with responsibilities and a school that you're running and imperfect situations that are combating, that's, that's most people who are trained to be good at anything. Even if it's not to compete at the highest level, for some people it is, for some people it's just to compete against themselves, to see what's possible. Sometimes it is just the point where like, I can only control what I can control. I have to show up and do the things I've committed to do. And in and amongst that, how am I gonna make the training that's gonna be the most effective for what I have right now? Yeah, I, I would say in my case, I try to see, not the bigger picture that sounds a bit condescending, more like, no, but see it on my life perspective. But also maybe once again, I'm 40 years old, you know? Mm. And uh, again, it's very lucky for me to have been able to compete at that kind of level uh, on the late. And I had the opportunity several times uh, and to, um, I still have a few sponsors, but like a few years ago, I had the choice. I could either decide to invest in myself as an athlete, but with all that involved and then as looking for sponsor, finding sponsor, and maybe that could have led to performing better overall. And, um, but it's still a lot of work and to be an athlete yeah. and, and 
But first, for example, I don't, uh, I'm not a big fan for myself. I'm not judging people who do it. I found some people doing it awesome, but I don't like to post constantly on social media about myself and stuff, but I feel very good doing it, for example, about my shop. Yeah. So, uh, and again, the life I want is not like in, uh, maybe in five years I retire as an athlete and then I have to build something out of it. Mm. Um, it's like I want it, it's more like the kind of life I want and then the, being an athlete is a bonus on top of it. Uh, I take it very seriously and I train a lot, huh? but it's just, uh, it's not the most important thing in my life mm. right now. Like overall, where I want to go is not there. It's not to that point. So I prefer to be like this, even though that means mainly is not the best I could have done in terms of pure performance. But again, my goal is to do the best I can do with the conditions I have. And yeah. already if I do this, uh, I won. <laughs> in a way. And there are so many people that achieve incredible things that are also maybe still quite unhappy or unfulfilled when they do as well. And so to have that slightly more 360 perspective around the whole life and what do I also want to achieve in other areas of my life? How do I want to live and still achieve great things? I, I think that's... That's certainly what I try and strive for in my own way as well. And I have all, all the satisfaction, for example, here in Kamotes Freediving, all the teams is athletes. Mm. Like the, all the instructors, there are people that want to go deep or, and that want to compete and that already have a certain level. So I have also a lot of satisfaction in watching them yeah. progressing and achieving and um, so we, we function in a way that everyone can really train same, but a bit like me and they have to work. So they need to, it's not perfectly ideal, but we really try to make sure they can train a lot, that they have time off to do some competitions and, and yeah, being also a bit sometimes of a mentor and seeing people that you, that you uh, help and stuff, achieving great things is also very rewarding. Yeah, man. I'd love to ask you about your physical training and because it's also a huge part of your life. What's the hardest element of physical free driving training for you? The thing is, in terms of physical, I take it uh, usually very easy. <laughs> no, but interesting. No, not very easy, but I used to boulder a lot and to do long distance runs and some triathlon as well. So like I have very good leftovers, let's say. No, but you know, when you do cardio for long enough and intense enough, then you get some permanent adaptations. For example, yeah. I have a very low heart rate uh, uh, in general. So I maintain myself. I'm like, I do a lot of body weight workout. I love body weight workout, but ideally in freediving, yeah, a bit of maximal strength, for example, would be better. Mm. <laughs> uh, I go running a lot, um, but also because I love it, not because I see it as like, oh, for my freediving, absolutely. Um, now my training physical for freediving is based a lot on spending time in the water as well. So mm. it's not physical, physical to the point, yes. but, uh, but yeah, on the side, and it, it depends on the periods as well, on the time I have, the what I want to achieve. Uh, I had some periods where I was going to the gym a lot uh, lately, both for logistics and also for personal enjoyment. I prefer yeah. to do body weight workouts. It's more endurance type of workout and, and I love it. And also I, I need nothing to do it. I can do yeah. it anytime, anywhere when I, when I need. And, and also a lot, 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 lot of stretching. Uh, mm -hmm. Flexibility is essential, uh, not only for the specific freediving part, um, but in general for uh, any sport. And I think it's, uh, it's overlooked in many sports. But if you want a good technique and be precise in your technique and also good recovery, and like there are so many benefits to being flexible and mm -hmm. to have good mobility, uh, avoiding injuries as well, like so many things that, uh, and even more like for freediving, we talked a lot about relaxation, body scan, that kind of things. Having a very good body awareness 
is very important. Uh, and stretching, especially if you really pay attention to your stretching and you don't do it uh, just to do it while talking or anything, then makes you develop a crazy body awareness. You yeah. know exactly how to relax any part of your body and that kind of things. And so stretching, I would say uh, almost one hour and a half, six times a week on average. And um, most of the time, and then I have some periods where I don't have that much time, but, and then the body weight workout, it depends on the period. Same when I start doing deep, deep dives, like now I reduce it a bit, but lately the past months was like every second day and every second day I would go running um, for 45 minutes to one hour or sometimes just nasal breathing, uh, running to yeah. reinforce a bit the, the respiratory muscles. Yeah. And then, yeah, in the stretching, there are some very specific for freediving as well yeah. for the diaphragm and, and things like this, but overall, mostly full body stretching. And yeah, I think after that, I spent so much time in the water, both for my own training and teaching. Yeah. If I were not teaching, for example, I would probably do very differently. Again, if my sure. whole life revolved only about this, I, I would do this differently. Um, during pandemic in winter, I was, uh, I was in Egypt and I had nothing to do, but train this time. So this time, for example, uh, I was in open water for myself for, for diving five times a week. I would do two very strong gym sessions per week, two running session, two swimming or free diving specific in the pool uh, session and, uh, seven hours of stretching roughly every week. Yeah, wow. So then that was very physical. And then after one month, I took, well, we took a whole week off. Yes. And, um, yeah, the other physical part you really have to pay attention for freediving is not really about training it. It's more making sure you don't overtrain it uh, in the nervous system. Holding your breath is uh, taking a toll on the nervous system, like really, even if you don't push, but if you do it a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, this as well, having full days where you don't hold your breath or where you don't go in the water is very important. So, but just like for any form, balancing rest and training. For sure. Are there any metrics that you look at to, to measure or to kind of, even if it's intuitively, to look at your own kind of central nervous system recovery? Um, yes, uh, the heart rate. Heart rate when you wake up, heart rate when you go to bed, or if you have a small Resting heart rate, rate or variability or... Uh, me, because uh, I don't have a fancy watch or anything, I use just regular heart rate. Yeah. And actually, to be fully honest, lately, I don't even use it much because uh, I know exactly what I can take or not uh, before a competition. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, usually seeing your heart rate, uh, your resting heart rate a little bit higher, even by two or three heartbeats, over a couple of days, you need to rest. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's very, very precise indicator. The other one I use a lot uh, is actually a mental one. I rate my confidence every day from one to five or one to 10. And I see if I see a drop in confidence, I usually uh, take a day of rest. Super interesting. I, I like the, you've got the very, very measurable kind of hard numbers and also the more or like auto regulation, how do I feel kind of thing. I think mm. it's great to, yeah, get both of those things as well. And I think this comes back to what you were saying before about the diaphragmatic stretching. That's why I've found the stay here at this, at this facility really interesting because freedivers look at the physical and, and different parts of the physical so much more than mm. other sports. There's so many very, very interesting specific things about, you know, glottis endurance and like <laughs> diaphragm and, you know, so, um, I'm and wait for the soft palette oh, and yeah. the tongue. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, super, super, super interesting. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of maybe give some advice if someone's either just gone into free diving or someone looking into doing more training for themselves in this kind of way and wanting to improve their performance. Is there anything that you think that beginner or, or, or early stage free divers get wrong in the thing that they focus on or in the way that they train? Yes, my, um, the, the main thing I see is people pushing a bit too much their breath or their exercises. 
because once again, it's very tiring for the nervous system. And actually, the best way to progress, in my opinion, in freediving, of course, you can work out very hard outside of the water, being very fit, it's going to help for sure. But the best way to progress in terms of what you do in the water is to just stay in your comfort zone, at the top of your comfort zone, so that you create a bit of adaptation, but expand it from the inside. And actually, I, I like this image of expanding your comfort zone from the inside. It's not from me, it's from, a, um, from an ultra runner. Um, uh, actually, I think it's from his girlfriend, but Kilian Jornet. Okay. Uh, he, yeah, he, he's like the most rewarded and talented ultra runner of all time. Like and the, this guy, if you think freedivers do crazy things, this guy like uh, did the Everest from base camp to the summit two times in one week running like and with very light equipment in. And then he wasn't happy because he arrived was night and then he did it a second time one week later to try to, to arrive there when it was still light. That's hectic. Yeah. yeah. So this guy is really, and, and I was really surprised to hear that kind of very hardcore sport, you know, the guy yeah. saying, no, yeah, I stay in my comfort zone. Wow. Interesting. And of course you can end up having a crazy comfort zone at, at a point. Yeah. And that's what I tried to develop for my freediving as well. Uh, to give you an example, like my maximum is around between 120, 125 meters. And for me, it's a big deal to get there. Uh, <laughs> but going to 115 is any day. Mm. Or going to 110 meters, staying 30 seconds at the bottom, coming back, or going to 100 meters, staying one minute there. My comfort zone is very close to my maximum. Interesting. And I think in a sport like freediving, where there are still some risks involved, like in many other sports, huh? yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and also in order not to overtrain and not to hurt yourself either, I think it's a, it's a very good way to go. And I see a lot of time people thinking more is better, you know, always. And but this is in all sport, people should should. It sounds very patronizing. Uh, I encourage people to realize <laughs> that very politically correct. I mean. When you train, your performance goes down. Yes. Like if you run for one hour, at the end of the hour, you're more tired. So your performance is going down and it's normal. So when you see your performance going down, it's not like I need to train harder. You know, no, I need to rest so that I compensate and then I train again and so on, you know, to create the adaptation, but then giving it time to develop uh, and to, as we call the circumcompensate or overcompensate. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the idea is, uh, and yeah, that's what I see the most is people trying to push too much. And usually, yeah, they have a golden period where they progress very quick, but then they kind of traumatize themselves. Yeah. And especially if they take a break, then they go back to freediving two months later and they are like, it's impossible how did I get there in the first place uh, and so easily last time and now I cannot get back there. And this is, yeah, to me, the, the main issues uh, sometimes with beginner. That's, that's super interesting. That's in my own kind of like body weight strength journey. I did exactly the same thing, like rat out of the gate, trying to do all of the advanced stuff, trying to really push myself really high intensity, just like wanting to strive for those skills straight away. I think it's partly ego, partly like, wow, maybe if I achieve this, I'll feel better about myself, all this kind of stuff. And it not only led to me getting super injured, but also those milestones of achievement will push so many years down the future because I couldn't train effectively mm. because of that really, really striving for something that was just out of my reach. So I think it's not just in freediving that that happened. That's so, so many different places that, no. yeah. So I would say it's a mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%, 100%. If I could have used some, I could have used some mental preparation. <laughs> yeah, but I think yeah. that the thing, it can, yeah. it's so useful for any sport that yeah. we don't realize it most of the time. How some people like here say injuries is just a part of sport, a part of achievement. Some people say that you can avoid them if you do things right. How do you think about blackouts and freediving? Are they a part of the process? Are they something that we can and should always avoid? What do you think about that? Um, yeah, maybe I'm going to shock a few people, but for me, they are definitely part of the process. I'm not saying uh, yeah. they are 
something that should happen regularly and it's something and this i agree when i say blackout is completely unacceptable like in a recreational freediving we shouldn't encounter blackout if it's taught properly and if there is no uh, additional condition or anything mm. but then but if you take an example uh in swimming pool it's very clear in open water there can be a bit more discussion, but in swimming pool, the idea, like in any sport, is to do the best performance you can. If you still have enough oxygen that you are not hypoxic, because like when you start freediving, yeah, you stop holding your breath because you want to breathe, but this has nothing to do with your oxygen levels. Uh, the urge to breathe comes from other things. So you stop because of this urge to breathe. As you become a trained freediver, you get a better tolerance at this urge to breathe. You train it, train it, train it. The ultimate goal being to be to the point where you, go, you can go past it so that you get low in oxygen with always in mind that you need to be still in control at the end of your performance. Let's imagine I'm holding my breath not moving. At the end, I still need to be able to come up and take my breath again. If I don't get hypoxic, for sure, I didn't go to the point I was going. But when you get hypoxic, you're mentally impaired at one point. So the line is very thin. Sometimes for half a second or one second more or less, you are between being hypoxic but still in control and being hypoxic and blacking out. Yeah. So for me in swimming pool, yeah, if you really want to give 100%, it's part of the game. Of course, you try to avoid it. But when you are on the line like this, but from time to time, you go past the line and you learn from it and good for you. And I don't think it's a, such a bad thing at all. I think it's really part of the game. For depths, yeah, same. In a way, it's part of the game. Usually, most freedivers at depths, you're not limited by hypoxia. You're limited by many other parameters, not by the lack of oxygen. You're limited because uh, by your depth adaptation, by uh, managing to equalize your ears at those depths, or uh, you also experience narcosis as you are very deep, so you're very high. So all of these are things that can really limit you. And then uh, that can lead to having a bad technique on the way up, so then using way more oxygen than usual. This can cause hypoxia, but usually to do a round trip to 100 meters, if you have uh, decent techniques, you're, you're not, and if you took the time to train for that, you're not hypoxic. And still, sometimes uh, you're a bit more narco, you, you feel the narcosis more than usual, so you go much slower on the way up, but without realizing it, huh? it's not on purpose, you know? Yeah. Uh, or sometimes, yeah, you don't know why, this time, uh, even though you didn't do anything crazy, Usually your lungs are perfectly fine and this time you have a bit more of swelling. Maybe your hydration was not exactly the same. Maybe wow. something uh, scared you a little bit at the bottom and you tense a bit. Like little details can make you black out once you're at the surface. And I think it's part of the game. Now if you have uh, another blackout the next dive, then it's not normal anymore. You know, it's because something went wrong. But yeah, for sure, progressing, like while keeping having blackouts and not, not addressing the causes, this is, shouldn't happen. But having a blackout sometimes, yeah, it's part of the game. Even though I know a lot of people, are, I know it should never happen. I dare them to progress up to 120 or 130 meters and never do a single blackout in their life. I dare them. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is... I have bounced around the, the different sides of the injury and, you know, I think blackout and this kind of plays a similar role in terms of overall development. You know, it's just like some people like can't avoid it. It's just part of it. Some people are like, oh no, it's the thing. If you have the right technique, you won't do it. And yeah, I think for many people who are just doing something really recreationally, yeah. it's very, very possible for them to not really get too injured or to blackout hit the times because there's not quite that same level as the super, super high performance stuff of really, really, really pushing your limits, pushing your limits, pushing your limits. Yes, for sure, you want to expand the comfort zone slowly, but sometimes the way that you learn when that comfort zone is, is to fuck it up. Yeah, of course, uh, yeah, blackouts can come from uh, not the best approach and repetitively, yeah. and this, yeah, we shouldn't, like, this is not super acceptable, but yeah, yeah and that, um, I don't know, for example, me, I did maybe, like, 
three, four blackouts in my whole career, always in competition, uh, maybe five. And, and yeah, I don't feel bad at all about it. Huh? And, and I encourage people not to feel bad about it. Yeah. Uh, you just try to find out why. And, and yeah, usually after that, you take a little step back and sometimes not even. Sometimes you know why it happened and you're committed to, for it not happening again and you go again and it goes well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, for me, it's definitely part of the sport. Um, and in, in a certain extent, even sometimes having pulmonary edema or what we call squeeze, you know, hurting a little bit your lungs. Again, this you really want to avoid huh? because yeah. on the long term could have consequences and so on. Uh, you do and happy about missing this, but for me, it's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's awesome. And I think what I've really enjoyed about this conversation is just really, it's a very refreshingly honest and direct and very practical, but also based on a lot of experience, this perspective of like process orientation, preparation, finding what works for you. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, your delivery of all of this stuff. And yeah, this has been great, man. This has been really, really awesome. My pleasure. I'd love just to, to finish off to kind of circle back to something that you said earlier. Um, just if you were going to kind of leave, leave us with any final thoughts about that relationship to failure or the relationship to fear of failure and what other people would think. What is your kind of experience competing at a very, very high level? What's one big lesson that you've taken away about how to maybe go into battle and deal with that mm. relationship to fear of failure? Uh, fear of failure, then, yeah, like one, like failure and disappointing myself, I'm still... Uh, dealing with it, but I'm uh, much better at it. But one thing that for me was uh, really helpful and in the end that made a big difference and got me really rid of the fear of what, what are the other going to think, you know? Mm. And someday it's just, I don't remember exactly in which book I read it, or, but it was really like, look, and, and now if I think about it, it's like, okay, if I see one of my uh, fellow athletes or competitors, uh, announcing a performance and they fail either the early turn or they black out or whatever. Do I feel like, oh, those are terrible person or even terrible freedivers? No, I'm just like, oh, next time I hope he makes it. Uh, Shane, he had really trained for it and stuff. Yeah. So why, if I fail my performance, would people think bad about me, you know? Yeah. And then also it starts remembering that one of your performance doesn't define you as an athlete and you as an athlete doesn't define you as a person you know there is so much more to you as a freediver than the results of one dive and there is so much more to you as a person than just being a freediver even if it's your job and your top athlete and stuff you have other things in your life you know so taking just a bit of perspective and taking it yeah. easy sometimes helps <laughs> I think that's a really beautiful perspective just to be like, hey, I don't necessarily project all this stuff onto somebody else, so, but it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking other people do. But yeah, I think it's a really nice reminder and something maybe to incorporate into the mental preparation. Since then, I don't care what people think. Roughly. If people have kind of enjoyed listening to your story and about the way that you teach and your philosophy and they want to come find out more and how to train with you or your school, where can they go to find that kind of stuff? Um, they need to come to Camotes in Philippines uh, so they can find us on, uh, on Instagram, Camotes Freediving. We also have a website, same, camotesfreediving.com, and or just yeah, yeah. drop us a message on Instagram, on Facebook, and we'll be happy to welcome anyone discovering uh, this awesome sport. Beautiful, man. I'll leave links to all of that in the description. And, man, I, would just, I really appreciate you coming on this podcast, man. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, bro.